When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi-Williams, and you're listening to the 34th Olympiad Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast. Uh, double dip edition, Eben Novi Williams. Later on in the show, we're going to hear from Kevin Lopes, Senior Director of Business Development over at ESPN, a very interesting tech conference called the Edge Conference, all about tech and innovation and how it, how it will change the broadcasts as we know it. Uh, we'll hear from that after we hear from Kathy Carter, the CEO of LA28. And Kathy, thanks so much for joining us. As you know, on this show, we we like to open different ways. Eben gets creative. Uh, I thought that one was very literal. What did you think of Eben's open? Did you agree with me that it was a little a little too literal? Like he really told yeah. people exactly what we're doing. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. But you know, if he he, he was he was going for the corner can or the how the can of corn, how, however you say that. I love exactly the baseball right. pop, baseball pop up references. By the way, <laughs> Eben, exactly. which we, I had to we, look up one time, so I actually know what it means now. Well, you have to look up literally for the can of corn or else you're not going to catch it. That's exactly right. We have the benefit of some video here. So I can see you. I can see Eben. He's got these two pieces of white tape on his fingers. And I asked him, what did you do? And he says, I broke my pinky. And of course, the natural me being the journalist, this is a hard hitting one. How did you do that? Eben, your response is? I have no idea. <laughs> I was, I, I think, I think it happened trying to surf. You can uh, appreciate this, Kathy, being out on the West coast. I, I was in San Diego last weekend. I tried to learn to surf. I was extremely bad at it. Uh, the, I will not be in the 2028 Olympics for surfing. Um, and I think it happened then, but to be honest, I, it, it, the next morning it was a problem and I don't know exactly when it happened. Well, well, that's how you are. We'll take it. Kathy, let me ask you this. We, you have changed titles recently. You've gone from CRO to CEO. Can you give me the main difference between CRO and CEO when, as it pertains to the organization LA28? Sure. Well, in addition to the R going to an E, uh, it, it does mean that I pick up responsibility for uh, not just the revenue side of of the equation, but also now the operations of really two parts: the operations of the overall OCOG, which is no small feat in and of itself, but then also the operation of the games uh, and making sure that all of the pieces come together for what we want to accomplish in 2028. Uh, I'm going to ask it very simply. I mean, I I know why. I do. I know why. If you're into sports business and you're executive, I get it. 
but why does anybody want to be the CEO of LA28? <laughs> I mean, boy, it just seems to me this is like a very, a very difficult time for such undertakings in a world we don't know what's being thrown at us. Why do you want this position? Well, it's not many times that you're given a chance, actually, and I mean this in all sincerity, where um, not just me, but the group that we're putting together, uh, which is really an extraordinary group of, of leaders, where we actually have the ability to, to make change happen. Uh, and, you know, we think about it in the sense of because of the embarrassment of riches that we have in Los Angeles with all of the facilities, which allows us to be a no-build games it really means what do we do to impact not just LA, which is obviously front and center for us, uh, but how do we actually impact the broader Olympic and Paralympic movement, as well as leave a lasting impression on the United States? And that's an opportunity. So if you're in this business as long as we've been, you don't get a chance to, to have that kind of swings at things. And I think we got a shot, a shot to do something that's really generational. For folks who, who are listening that maybe don't follow the Olympics as closely, you LA 28 was awarded the Olympics back in, in 2017. Usually Olympics have a seven-year kind of runway to get ready for the games. You guys had 11 years by virtue of them giving Paris 24 and LA 28. How much of an advantage, I think for some people, seven years versus 11 years might feel like they're both so long that they you can do everything in there. Is it really a huge advantage to have those extra four years when you're talking 11 versus seven? Well, time will tell. We certainly think it is. And, uh, and I'll tell you the real reason why. Um, and it goes back to, to what we talked about going from CRO to CEO. Uh, it really meant that we spent the first phase of our journey focused on revenue generation. You know, even in that seven-year window, you know, standing up an organization that's going to be thousands of people and what you have to do to just build the people and the process and the systems to operate an organization that's going to be at that size and scale is no, no small undertaking. Couple that with most traditional organizing committees have to generate revenue at the very same time that they're actually spending the money. And that gives you sort of an odd way to go about it because you're spending money that you think you're going to actually generate. In our case, we were able to focus the last really three plus years on what do we do to really have a solid footing. So we have a great line of sight on what our, what our revenues are going to be, which allows us really to be much more thoughtful about how we spend money. And we think that's a, a real recipe for success for what we want to try to accomplish. And uh, along that point, uh, I, the budget for for the LA Games, I think it's six point eight eight billion right now. How do you go about budgeting for something that's that's ten years away from inflation to change of cost of labor and and whatever materials you guys might need for for some small projects? How do you even begin to to guess what uh, what this game is going to cost when when we're a decade out? Yeah, well, again, on the revenue side, we have a good line of sight, right? We knew what the projections were. You start to, start to look at, you know, what your ticketing revenue, and we've done a really, really significant hospitality deal with On Location, which was announced a number of months ago. We started to line up sponsors. We've done a lot of work and licensing. So we've got a good line of sight on on that. From an operational perspective, that's actually the work we've been we've been doing here for the last, let's say, 18 months, because obviously your bid budget is a start. It's a start to the journey. And that gave us a little bit of a of a, what we call taxonomy, if you will, of how and what um, the budget should look like. And now it's a question of how do we start to refine that in much more uh, in, in a far deeper level of understanding? And really, how do we start to um, save our way? 
for the unknowns that we know we're eventually going to have over the course of the last four years. And so part of our real strategy is how do we put ourselves in the best position uh, to deal with the unknown, which is inevitably what every organizing committee has to face. Um, And we want to be in a position where we've actually prepared for the unknown without knowing what it'll be. Tokyo had the biggest unknown possibly in the history of, uh, of, of Olympics for the, for the 2020 turn 2021 summer games. I'm curious, how much did, did the COVID pandemic change your thinking? You're obviously a, a long ways away. Did it change the market for sponsorships? How, how much has changed for you guys in the past 18 months? I, I love Kathy. If I may just interject, I love that Eben asked in a very professional way, how much did it change the market for sponsors? Yeah. I would have said, does it scare the bejesus out of you? That's the, I mean, that's the way I say it because everybody's like, oh my God, you can't like, not again. Like, I, I mean, again, yeah. the unknown of the unknown, but the, between sponsors and you, you, you say you have, you know, you have some certainty on revenue. You think you do, but that thing, that pandemic scared the bejesus out of me. How about you? Yeah, no question. No question. But again, we have, we do have time on our side. So number one, we now understand that uh, the unknown isn't just uh, the stuff that perhaps people used to, to prepare for. It really is and can be some really dramatic swings of uh, the equation. So for us, it's a, it really, I mean, go back. Um, I, I'm, I think we're very fortunate of the timing of the pandemic because we were very small at this point and we were able to operate. Um, we uh, we took tremendous lessons, not just from the Tokyo organizers who credit to them for having the wherewithal to, to, to stay true and be able to deliver uh, the games in 2021, um, but everyone and what everyone went through over the course of the last two years. I mean, it's just remarkable uh, that we're all standing standing upright, but uh, but we've actually come out I think stronger than we obviously went in because we've grown. Uh, we've obviously landed a a number of of significant partnerships. Um, now they all took longer to do because we couldn't get together face to face. But by the same token, the resilience that our small and mighty team really showed was something I think will will prove um, foundational for us in terms of how we actually can build going forward. I've had a few people tell me in the past few months, people within the Olympic movement, that potentially the, the big winners in, in kind of all this uncertainty around the Olympics were Paris in 2024 and LA in 2028. The thinking there being that so many people were excited about a Tokyo Games. A lot of sponsors didn't get to, to send employees, didn't get to send clients, didn't get to do activations on the ground. A lot of that just gets pushed forward towards the next Olympiad, the Olympiad after that. I'm curious if, obviously, uh, there's a lot of challenges around around the COVID and the pandemic. But if there's a, you think that there's, it, it's made LA and Paris more valuable, just because we're looking at uh, two straight games, probably the the ones in Tokyo and the ones in Beijing that didn't have the kind of fervent commercial activity that we're used to seeing. Yeah, that could be true. But I also think we've got the benefit of being in uh, Los Angeles and in the United States, where we obviously have an incredibly robust commercial marketplace. And so for us, it's also been about how do we think differently, um, both about the Olympics and the Paralympics, and and what do we do to start to create an easier way for partners to come in and actually utilize and activate against uh, the great properties of not just what we will host in 28, but Team USA as well. And so that's been a, um, that was a thesis even before uh, everything uh, um, with the pandemic hit, which was um, as we went out and started to really talk to people in the marketplace, what we asked was, what's the greatest pain point that you have? 
Um, and then we went about trying to, to figure out ways to create opportunity to solve those things. And, what are and some that's, pain points? Well, for example, you know, we, we launched the, um, the athlete marketing program in, in consultation with the United States, with the USOPC, uh, which is intended. We, we took a look at how many athletes actually um, have access and actually integration with commercial partners. And it was a really small amount um, of the superstars that you would expect. And what we realized is there weren't um, great opportunities for uh, what we call the, the the real bulk of Team USA athletes because they maybe didn't have uh, agent representation or just didn't know how to connect with commercial partners. And so by creating this athlete marketing program, we create opportunities and we're just starting and we're still in a pilot phase, but we're seeing really great numbers coming out in terms of um, integration with sponsors or licensees. You know, we, uh, we launched a, a whole name and number program, which is uh, and a very unusual thing to do uh, with the uh, the Olympics uh, because we're not actually the the Team USA doesn't provide the uh, the actual athletes the the product that they compete on in their sport, but we actually created an opportunity where the, and those revenues go back to the individual athlete who we feature. And so, how do we bring more resources to those athletes, but also reduce um, for sponsors? How do they actually integrate with? It's really hard to find some of these athletes. Uh, as they're so focused on competing. And so what do we do to, to open up those, those channels? Uh, so that's just one illustration, and there's a lot more to come. We're chatting with Kathy Carter, CEO of LA28. And there's a dead giveaway here, Kathy, that you have. Put it past that, no, I am not the CRO anymore. I am the CEO. There is a clear indication that mentally you have moved beyond the CRO position. Can you guess it right now? Evan, any guesses? You, we talked about sponsors. You didn't name a single one of them. Every <laughs> yeah, CRO well, I know I, would have listed the sponsor, yeah, at least two or three yeah, of them. So I am, yeah. I am going to give you that opportunity right now. <laughs> I will, let me phrase it as a question, Kathy, so people don't think I'm just opening up the airways. But Kathy, yeah. who are some of those sponsors you mentioned? Who, who are those partners you're talking about that are paying to fund these games? Well, let's just start with the fact, obviously, that that it was literally about 10 days before the world shut down that we hosted an event to actually announce our first founding partner in Delta, uh, which was a great event we had out here at the Griffith Observatory. And then during the course of the pandemic, uh, we have uh, had been able to announce uh, Comcast, Salesforce, and Deloitte as, uh, as partners, uh, as well as an extension with uh, both Ralph Lauren and also Nike. So we, we've done some good business. We've got a bunch more that are coming down um, the, the pipe here, uh, but we feel really good. And these are, these are big, big deals that, that uh, we've been able to, to land. And, um, and what's been really intriguing is just the, the real lean that each and every one of those partners have had towards this idea that they are going to help us co-create these games uh, and how they're going to actually integrate um, to make sure that we deliver on our, our uh, objective of delivering a really innovative games, not just for fans, but also for athletes and, and all the various stakeholders of, of the, the movement. Uh, all things being equal, if two companies come to you and say, we want to pay you X to be associated with the, the games and be official sponsor, do you need more than just money? That you need a synergistic partner that will bring added value? You can find different tent poles that you need. What are those conversations like? What do you say? We need X from you. And they're saying for this investment, we need what in ROI? 
Yeah, you know, it's a different. I will say that's one of the things that, that coming into this was different than perhaps um, some of the things I've done in the past. I mean, the, the pure collective energy towards co-creating these games, and clearly we're, we're also doing that with all the top partners as well. <clears throat> so how and what they do to, to showcase it, their own innovation uh, through how we host these games. And so um, that's a core tenet, actually, of why you want to do this, because that that delivery of this perhaps innovative solution that you want to bring to the balance of the marketplace. I mean, Salesforce is a great example. I mean, it, it, it's it's our ability to really utilize what they can help us do more effectively and efficiently as it relates to connecting to um, not just fans, but also to our athletes, um, actually gives them such an incredible story about how they can help other partners with their business uh, challenges that they have. So there's just, there's a lot for us for us to continue to get better uh, as a property and, and certainly in the delivery of the games, which is incumbent upon all these partners to help us. And that's sort of what they're buying into. Correct me if I'm wrong, Kathy, you guys are selling all these sponsorships are essentially for the eight year run up to the LA 2028 games. So that includes Beijing. It includes the Paris games. It includes Milan mm-hmm. Cortina and then LA. How much of your conversations are about 2028 and LA specific and how much are in these conversations are about the other three Olympics that are kind of part of this package as well? Well, I'd say, I'd say differently. I'd say it's really team USA is a critically important part of this. Um, and that's been uh, the co-lead with LA 28 when we started the journey with LA being so far out, it was hard to sort of wrap your head around it. Um, and Team USA was critically important and that was a driving force to the discussion and what we want to do in partnership with uh, with Sarah Hirschland and her crew. <clears throat> so uh, it really is, um, and it's not about the games themselves, although LA is a component because our athletes are training today, whether that be for Beijing or they're training today even for Paris. You know, we saw so many athletes come out of Tokyo and with three years to go, essentially, for, for Paris, you saw a lot of them talk about they wanted to continue the, the training and they wanted to continue their participation all the way through Paris. So they're back on the track and in the pool and uh, on the court or, or, any, or on the field of play, if you will. So for us, that never stops. So what do we do to create more connectivity? That's a key, key part of the story for us. How okay, much I'm you coming think- to you. From, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Evan. Go ahead, Scott. Uh, I was going to say, how how much are you thinking about potential Team USA stars? Obviously, there's a lot of people that are going to star in LA in 2028 that that nobody has even heard of or are you know are, are barely even born right now. But there are some athletes that competed in Tokyo that will probably be uh, household names to a degree. Is that something you guys are thinking about at all right now? Is it a track star? Is it a swimming star? Are you thinking at all about about who actually might be on the ground in 2028? Not- not as much today. What we're really focused on is how do we make sure that we deliver for all athletes um, as a seamless of an experience in Los Angeles as can be possible. I mean, we've heard stories as simple as um, athletes losing the key to their room and having to go through the stress of trying to get into their room in the athlete village. So these are things as small and as big, you know, how do we make sure that transportation is seamless? I mean, there's all these things that we can we can provide that gives them the, the ability to focus first and foremost on their performance or on their experience at the games. And so how do we really make that um, frictionless? How do we do that same for fans? I mean, that's a real key thing for us. So as it relates to the stars, not yet. We haven't focused on that. We're focused on the foundational elements of how do we make sure that all athletes, as a result of 
LA uh, are really able to perform at their very highest level, whatever that level may be. Even though I reside across the country, I'm going to go local here for you. A couple questions that the local folks will care about. One is traffic. The last time LA hosted the Olympics, there was a big push really asking people, rent out your homes, please, get out of town, please don't drive because we don't have the infrastructure to handle all this. Is that the same plan this time around? Or uh, is there another way to really uh, to, uh, to deal with, tra- I think, traffic most of all? Yeah, well, I think actually as a result of 84, there was a lot of work that was done around transportation. And obviously there's a lot um, that we will put in place. And a part of uh, what the LA City uh, plan is with the, the overall adding rail system into Los Angeles is, is coming coming online. So we'll do some things certainly with uh, with the city and the county to make sure that we have uh, an eye towards towards that transportation. It's early because we're really in the, the, the planning stages of a lot of those ideas uh, and how and what we do to, if you take a, a like, so there's a lot of statistics about what you actually need to do in order to, to minimize the traffic. But ultimately, there's also a tremendous amount of, of information about how traffic is actually not a big deal during the Olympic Games because people tend to uh, will work with, with business owners and, and the local, uh, local uh, employers in Los Angeles to work on flex schedules and different types of things. So we actually don't think that's going to be a problem, even though obviously that's going to be a talking point between now and 2028. That's not one of the things that ultimately keeps me up at night. Uh, well, I will ask you what does keep you up at night, but I'm writing down right now, mental note, writing down, not something we're keeping, you know, problematic traffic in LA. All right. We're going to hold you to that one. Yeah. Hold but, me to that one. Hold me to that one. You did mention rail. And that brings me to my, to my second question, being here in New Jersey, where we tried to get a tunnel built under the Hudson river. And the reason it didn't get done was because Chris Christie, and I'm not getting political. I'm not saying rightly or wrongly, but Chris Christie would not approve a plan whereby the taxpayers we're going to be on the hook for cost overruns. As I understand it right now, that is the case for taxpayers in LA, that they're on the hook for cost overruns. Might that change? And is is that okay uh, with the residents of LA right now? Well, I think, you know, first of all, the um, city of LA is the host city for the games. And so, yes, they have uh, committed to support both uh, the or the way we will put together the organization for uh, the games, but there's a lot of checks and balances in that, and we feel very very comfortable that the budget, which by the way includes a significant uh, amount of money for contingency, um, that we will be fine as we build towards that, and that's the work we're doing currently, and will is an ongoing uh, work stream with the city of LA, which is how do we actually maintain because from our perspective. While that is a um, an agreement with the city of LA, that's just not a part of our planning. They're going back to what we talked about before, which is, you know, we've got such a better line of sight on how much money we have to spend. Now it's a question of how the heck do we make sure that we are never spending more than what's in the budget and never even touching that contingency that's a part of our budget that we've worked with the city to, to have in place. Right. Eric Garcetti, though, did reference perhaps that that could change where the city would or taxpayers would not be on the hook for any cost overruns. Can you give us any insight as to how that would come about? Yeah, I think it's too early to comment. I mean, we're obviously looking at a lot of different things because we want to continue to give uh, comfort to the, to the city, the citizens of, of LA, uh, that that won't be ever an issue that they need to be worried about. But, uh, but it's still too early 
but it's certainly something that we've got as an idea um, as we continue to, to develop our plans and our organization. Uh, that's something that that's a possibility. We just don't know yet what that could look like. One of the things that a feather in your cap from a budgeting standpoint is the fact, as you mentioned earlier, that there's not much that you guys are building in the run-up to these games. We spoke on, on, on this podcast earlier this week about the Clippers' new arena, which I was out in L.A. to, to see the plans for. There's a new $5 billion uh, football stadium. There's a new MLS stadium. There's a renovated Coliseum. There's no dearth of, of big venues for you guys to work with. I'm curious how those decisions will get made. Is it, you want things that are geographically close to each other to limit the, the, the distance between them. You want to spread it out as, as far around the city as possible for local businesses. How do you kind of weigh the, the, the dearth and, and, and the, the, the large amount of this colleges, all, all the different venues that you have that are options when you decide where to put everything? Well, it's like, that's where I start with. It's an embarrassment of riches, right? Because we, when we talk about being a no build games, but, uh, but we know today that the athlete village will be at UCLA. Uh, we know that we will do uh, a shared opening ceremony between the Coliseum and uh, SoFi stadium. Um, so there's a lot of things that, that have, that we put as a part of our plans, but that's actually the work that we've done now that we'll start probably, you know, I would say next year, start to lay out for people some of our, our ideas around how we actually maximize uh, the, the footprint of Los Angeles and all of the facilities so that we can engage the most community members, whether that's being uh, a part of the games, whether that's sitting in the stadiums or that's actually experiencing the live sites that we've, we've laid out for people. Um, and how do we actually make sure that we are uh, providing the, the greatest experience for the athletes. And, and that's part of all these facilities will allow us to continue to do that. So you're right. That's the work actually that we're undertaking right now is how do we maximize the opportunity uh, in LA given the, the dearth of facilities that are at our disposal. Another thing that I know is probably in early discussions right now, the host committees have, have some kind of sway over adding sports to the Olympic schedule. I'm curious if you can say what, what's being looked at the most right now, what can people expect for kind of the LA 28 specific uh, sport editions? Way too early for us on that one. It's obviously on our, on our radar and something we, we keep an eye on, but uh, we, you know, the IOC hasn't even established the, the core sport program at this point. So uh, that's the first uh, sort of domino from our perspective that needs to fall. Uh, and then we'll, we'll really dig deep. We're obviously looking at a number of sports and a number of, of ideas, um, but, but still too early since we, we don't have total line of sight uh, at this point on the core sports program. What's the, what's the criteria you look at there? Is it commercial appeal around the world? Is it success that, that American athletes have in that specific sport? Is it even more hyper-local to LA specifically? Kind of what are the kind of the big buckets of criteria you look at for sports like that? No, also a good question. And we're, like I said, we're, it's really early for us, but, but ultimately what is it going to, what is going to continue to provide engagement and engagement for us um, across the city, the state, and ultimately the country uh, for the games. But, but, it, but for us, we, we've barely scratched the surface on that, even though it's a fun topic for us to, uh, to, to uh, chat about around the lunch table it's, it's still too early. There's so many pieces of, our, of the, the puzzle that have to be laid in before we can get to that. But ultimately, it's about engagement with the games themselves. So whether that's also in partnership with uh, NBC, we think about how and what we can do to continue to elevate sport that, uh, that matter most to, uh, to Americans. That's part of it. Um, 
you know, we work more diligently on how our athletes are going to perform with the USOPC. Um, but we feel pretty good that, uh, that they've got line of sight on all the plans that will continue to, to make it so that Team USA is the top of the, top of the podium, if you will, uh, as much as possible. Yeah, I say, Kathy, you're teeing me up perfectly. You mentioned the lunch table. Is Diddy Reese, the ice cream shop in Westwood, still open? Is that place still there? I can't say now. And I've spent a lot of decent amount of time in Westwood. I have not been there. Oh, my um, God. You know, yeah, oh, Kathy, so Kathy. I don't know if it's open, but now I've got someplace else I've got to try. And, I'm a, and I love my ice cream. Two homemade cookies. You get your, whether you want chocolate chip, sugar, whatever. Two homemade cookies, a nice scoop of ice cream made into the sandwich, and a cold glass of milk for what I remember to be like a buck. I mean, well, is anything a dollar anymore? Well, uh, not even the stuff at the <laughs> 99 question. cent store is a dollar anymore. So I will I know, say no. So even, yeah. so even I guess you just if, dated yourself. You just dated yourself. Everybody knows me. I date myself <laughs> for every reference I make. Don't worry about it. Like he's the young guy. I'm the old one. It's, it's, it's fine. But if you want the proclamation from the IOC president, greatest games ever, you incorporate Diddy Reese ice cream and the milk and you watch the athletes like it'll be glowing, glowing. I, and I'm I don't want to end on a downer. I'm, yeah, I don't yeah. want to end on a downer, but you did mention what does not keep you up at night. Can you please end with telling us what does keep you up at night? Well, I, the, how much time do we have? How much time do we have? <laughs> I've got um, as much time as you'd like. Boy, this is no good. This is what it, see when you when you uh, go to the throne, ascend to the throne. Yeah. This this is what I understand that you're being kept up at night by every little thing. But how about yeah. a top one? What what's the one that you would say? Oh, you really really gets you, and you really worry about. You know, I think um, the piece that that's most critical for us right now is the people, the people that we bring into the organization. And, uh, um, you know, credit to Casey and Wasserman and all the people that were here at the bid. They started the foundation of quality well before I got here. Um, and my job is now to, to sprinkle in the people that actually um, are starting to, to build the organization, because if you've got the right people, you can take on anything. And whether it's, um, you know, Brian LaFamina or Ann Rodriguez or Chris Pepe or Amy Gleason or Nicole Jeter West, we've brought together a, a really um, interesting group of people, whether they be from the Olympic movement, corporate America or sport, that I, that I think that, that the group we're putting together is going to be able to tackle anything. That today is the number one thing is how do we make sure we build the right organization to deliver these games? And then it goes to everything. While I say transportation doesn't keep me up at night, that's because it's going to keep me up to a night probably in four or five years. Um, yeah, I didn't believe you we, anyway, so don't yeah, worry about yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> so, but, but it starts with our people and it starts with how and what we do to build a culture um, that we believe we've got a shot to, to, to deliver like we talk a lot about um, the most innovative games. Um, but also, uh, second to that would be create the next generation of leaders in our in the sports business because we'll go out of business and I think we'll have some of these great leaders that'll come as a result of uh, being a part of the organization. And that's another thing we look at as, as our contribution. Good to hear a blast from the past. Nicole Jeter West used to deal with her when she was at Legends. So uh, it's good to see now you've got good people on staff working with you. I unfortunately have to work with guys like Evan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kathy, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. 
Ramps business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramps software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Oh, that was Kathy Carter of LA28. I'm looking forward to the LA games. I've been legacy of 84 continues. Uh, I, I love that all the venues are built. Uh, very interested to see what Kathy and our good friend Casey Wasserman come up with for the IOC in LA. All right. As promised, we wanted to talk a little tech and innovation because ESPN is jumping into that game. Of course, uh, ESPN always looking for enhancements and how tech can help drive their coverage of sport. And we do all those things as well. So Kevin Lopes is with us, Senior Director of Business Development. Kevin, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, I, I love that you guys, a company like Disney, is partnering with other companies to figure out how you can work together to drive innovation in not only, and this is what I love about sport. Yes, this will apply to ESPN and coverage of sports. I understand that. And it will get a lot of attention in that regard. But let's not lose sight of the fact that it can scale outside of sport as well. But why don't you just tell us the impetus of why ESPN got involved in the Edge Conference? Great, yeah. Well, in ESPN, we have a long history of innovation. Uh, one could argue our very business model of a dual revenue stream <laughs> is innovation in and of itself. Uh, obviously, the Coswell Megacast, Pylon Cam, really the entire industry has been innovating like crazy in the last year and a half with COVID. And a lot of those remote productions are probably uh, going to remain the same. So even though we have a long history of it, we always want to make sure that we're continuing to lead. And so innovation at ESPN has been, you know, within various business departments. But now with like our partnerships with the Edge Conference, we've been able to retain AAA partners in the industry that we can really leverage their technology to help us ex accelerate innovation even faster than we could on our own. I love the fact that you just started with sort of that that dual model of subscriber fees as well as advertising. You know, every linear regular network executive was like, oh, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> but we're so far beyond that. But why don't you name some? I mean, Accenture, Microsoft, Verizon. These are big players in sports already. It makes sense that these brands would get together for something like this. Yeah, I totally agree. And you know, at ESPN, we have a luxury of having a lot of partners. Uh, but the Ed Center, we really wanted to focus on partners that saw the larger vision. These are all multi-year agreements, and so we can have some short wins and long wins. And these are partners that overlap with our key strategic partners and our rights assets as well. And so we're really excited to hit the ground running because we've got a tremendous relationship up through Disney and our DMED team, as well as, e as ESPN with these particular partners. So there are names that are known. We work great with the larger company, and so we're really excited to leverage them in innovation here at ESPN. A lot of these things, I assume, were kind of accelerated by some of the challenges over the past 18 months. I, I personally think about, you know, the, the NFL draft that you guys did uh, as being this kind of a, a great example of, even in post-pandemic world, what kind of a, a totally new and, and tech-focused sports broadcast can look like moving forward. Can you give us some examples of, of, of what may kind of come out of these partnerships, what might be discussed that fans, people who watch ESPN a lot uh, might be able to look forward to moving forward? 
Yeah, and we're really excited on a, a variety of areas. I, I want to try to avoid the buzzard bingo of like VR, <laughs> sports betting, uh, NFTs. But I, 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 I haven't heard much about <laughs> sports betting in VR. What do you mean by that, Kevin? I mean, this seems like new stuff. I mean, I have to mention them, uh, but we're certainly interested in leveraging, you know, augmented reality, virtual reality, uh, machine learning, data analytics. We have a, a lot of partners uh, with, with data internal to ESPN. We've got a great stats formation group that has 200 plus employees um, that has significant value in, in, you know, just the folks that we've got data scientists who have PhDs. And so we, we want to think about how we can better leverage our existing resources around data and then partner with our innovation partners to really grow that in a new way. So I think you should look forward to seeing how we present player tracking data in college basketball games, how we could potentially uh, use video tracking data in college football games. Uh, so really leading into the data side. Um, certainly, we're looking at NFTs, blockchain technology. We have a, a group now dedicated to sports betting day to day. And so we're really excited in partnership with Leaks to investigate how we can present that to forward facing fans as well. Yeah, what's a, what's a bigger impetus here for for ESPN? Is it the the things like stats on broadcast, things like that that are that that fans will notice, or is it things kind of internally that that might not show up directly for fans, but are advantages to you guys as you think about production, as you think about programming and content, et cetera? Sure, I mean it's a it's a balance for sure. Like it, I wouldn't say that either one has a greater priority, but we're ESPN. We really want to make sure that fans see and tangibly feel our innovation apparatus. So like a goal of mine is to make sure that we have that, those fan facing opportunities, but also we we've got AAA partners that have existing technology mixed with some data that we can provide can get better. I mean, we're, we'd love to utilize closed captioning technology to more automate that, to make it easier for fans and we can close caption everything so that we're making sure that any fans who are hearing impaired have access to that or fans who might be traveling and can't, you know, listen to a show. And so we can leverage technology to, to bring that forward to fans and fans might not realize that that's an innovation. Uh, it's not necessarily in their face, but they're going to benefit from it. Uh, so just a couple handful of examples there. All right, Kevin, I don't usually go five syllables, but there is a word that matters here and that's monetization. And for people who maybe don't understand, like you say augmented reality, I, I don't know if faces glaze over, but if you can give them that tangible, well, what do you mean? How does that work? Well, if anybody saw the Carolina Panthers, and that big giant panther running around the field that got like, I don't know how many million views across social. That's what we're talking about. And in the monetization column, which matters to ESPN, it matters to Sportico, it matters to everybody. Um, the Panthers told us that sponsors were actually wondering if there's a way they can attach themselves to the project. What else could they do? So it isn't just about sort of enhancing a broadcast. It's also about what are the, what are the ancillary revenue streams that could be uh, pulled from them as well. Sure. I mean, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, when I saw that Carolina Panthers, it looked awesome, but it also reminded me when, when Riot Games did it like six years ago. It's part of the Riot Worlds in esports. Well, we've well, we, uh, we've said all along, uh, Eben and I discuss it all the time, that we think TV executives and sports leagues can learn from sort of the gamified broadcast. We, like, we hear a lot about it, but look to the esports world for things that are already happening. And by the way they also skew younger. This is certainly a way that ESPN can drag that younger viewer into their universe as well. For sure. No, we're agreed on that point. See, somebody agreed with me, Eben. That's good. <laughs> that was a first. <laughs> <laughs> More at the home life, not at the office, but, but, but yes. But ultimately, this, so this conference comes next week. Uh, 
How do people touch it? How do people feel it? How do they get involved? Sure. Well, it's uh, it's free and it's virtual, so that should remove a lot of barriers for entry. Um, and so certainly just go to ESPNEdge.com and sign up for the conference. Again, free for everyone. We've got a great panel, uh, really led off with my boss, Mark Walker, having a candid conversation with our chairperson, Jimmy Patero, just talking about how the future of streaming works with our rights portfolio. Really, like our, you know, Burke Madness, our president of programming and, and content, really can speak to it better than I can. But We've been on a bit of a run here where they're acquiring the rights um, to add to the ESPN networks, both uh, linear and streaming. And the the plan behind that really is to unlock the right for uh, direct-to-consumer. And so will, Jimmy will talk a little bit more about that. We certainly have some athletes that are participating. Uh, we've got an athlete 3.0 panel uh, with Lindsey Vaughn and Blake Griffin just talking about how being an athlete today is, is, is different. Like they're investors, they're entrepreneurs, they're CEOs. Uh, they have their own SPACs. And so they talk a little about investments that they make and how important it is for athletes to be socially conscious in investing as well. Uh, so really excited about the conference. Um, and be really excited for anyone to participate. Yeah, I think all your programming folks will tell you, and obviously we've seen there, there are probably no rights fee discussions that happen these days that don't include streaming. We're not there yet. We know the bundle is eroding, that cable bundle. Um, the game is changing. And you better be out front. And I think that's what this is, this is all about, not only from a, an acquisitions standpoint, but also presentation. Like you're just trying to be out front. For sure. All right. Well, Kevin, uh, again, everybody, the ESPN Edge Conference next week. It, it is free. It is virtual. Coming out of the, these last two years at COVID, I think everybody is very comfortable with, with virtual. No, no reason not to be able to, to tune in. He is Kevin Lopes. Senior Director of Biz Development at ESPN. Uh, prior to that, Kathy Carter, CEO of LA2028. The other guy on this show, you can find him on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. You can find me on Twitter at Soshnik. And Core Veltman, our social media editor, loves when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will very soon become the Sportico Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.